and Tanner. If we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. I'm one of the, the pastors here. It is great to see you, uh, and I'd love to meet you afterwards. But uh, we, we should uh, get into this sermon. I just want to let you know, uh, a couple of you have made, a mass, uh, have made jokes about, hey, Hans, you always only have three points in your sermon. Uh, today, uh, four. Right? Just one for free. There you go. Don't worry. Don't worry. I know what you're asking. You're going, does that mean it's going to be a quarter more as long? No, it's not. Don't worry. Uh, I'm going to pray and we'll jump in. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to us and uh, you would help us to see how amazing grace is and how we're meant to respond to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I've got a bit of an embarrassing confession to make to you guys, and here it is. Um, I've been watching uh, online episodes of Beauty and the Beast, and uh, you, you, know, you know that trashy reality show, but, it's, but I have been watching the whole thing. I've only been watching one particular episode, and it's the episode where the geeks get a transformation. Sorry, it was not Beauty and the Beast, Beauty and the Geeks. Sorry. Um, and the geeks get a transformation. They go from looking like a geek, they come through, usually they burst out through an old photo of themselves, and they look uh, better. I mean, they've got better clothes, they're usually, their hair's better, they've got a shave or whatever. And I, there is something amazing about seeing that transformation. You see the joy on their face, you see the joy in the room, you see everyone. And what, what I've been wondering is this, why do we, as, as a culture, why are we kind of obsessed with transformation? Right? I was down at the Macquarie Centre the other day and um, I was walking past a, a, a shop I've walked past probably 60, 70 times and they were promising that if you go in there and pay a bunch of money, they will um, do a bunch of procedures that over time will take away all your fat and cellulite, pain and exercise free. And I was like, wow, okay, transformation. Or if you have a look, even once again on TV, there seems to be a bunch of shows about transformation, whether it be transforming a person or transforming a house or a backyard. Well, we love to hear about transformation. In, in, in our passage today, we're going to see a massive transformation, an amazing transformation. And we're going to see that the, 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 the biggest catalyst or the most, uh, the most successful catalyst to change is not a new diet or a makeover or whatever. It is God's amazing grace. We're going to see that God loving us in, in a totally undeserved way is the thing that will transform us more than anything else. And so this sermon, even though it's in a sermon series about money, is actually about God's grace. We're going to talk about money at the end. And we're going, to, we're going to ask the question, especially at the end, how do you know if you've been really transformed by grace? How do you know whether you're just here at church and you're singing songs about grace and you believe in the idea of grace, or when do you know that, that actually grace has gone from an idea that you believe to something that has captured your heart and changed your life? We're going to see four things, as I said, in the sermon today. We're going to see the openness to grace, the invitation of grace, the, I hate this word, but there was no other word, the amazingness of grace and the responses to grace. The openness, the invitation, the amazingness and the responses to and of grace. So let's have a look at the openness to grace. Have a look at uh, chapter uh, chapter 19, verse 1. 
Jesus was enter, enter Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. So, see, notice who Zacchaeus is. He is the chief tax collector. He's not one tax collector. He is the absolute chief, right? Now, here's the thing. I, I, I was talking to a person who works at the ATO a few months ago, um, and one of the things that he said is he doesn't tell his friends that he works at the ATO. There's nothing wrong with working at the ATO, but he just goes, it's a conversation killer, right? But back then, it was even worse because you were taking tax from your fellow countrymen and giving, giving it to the Romans. But he, he's not just one of the tax collectors. He's like the kind of CEO of a bunch of tax collectors running almost like a pyramid scheme to defraud his, his fellow countrymen, and did you also see that he was very, very wealthy? He was very good at his job, and therefore he's wealthy. Now, here's one of the things that if you've been reading through the Gospel of Luke and you come across someone who is wealthy, you would go, well, you're kind of weary of, of, of this. You're thinking, well, this person has no, is not going to get on with Jesus at all. Because in chapter 12, you see the rich fool... In chapter 16, you see the rich man, Lazarus, the rich man ends up going to hell. In chapter 18, you see the rich young ruler. And in chapter 18, verse 25, Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a wealthy or rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So here we, we see that this guy is wealthy and you just think there's no way that this guy is going to have anything to do with Jesus. But notice in verse 3, his attitude towards Jesus, verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. Those three last words are very significant because a lot of people wanted to see Jesus, see the spectacle of Jesus, much like you and I would go if we heard at the Macquarie Centre there was a famous person, we would go to see the spectacle. No, not this guy. He wanted to see who Jesus was to get a vibe of what he's on about. That's what Zacchaeus is trying to do here. And so he goes. But do you see what's happening? But because he was short, this is verse 3 again, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And you can imagine, you know, you know people are short that the crowd doesn't let him see Jesus. They're like, well, Zacchaeus, you've ripped, ripped us off. We're not going to help you here. And so what does he do? Verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, can I just say, if you saw a, a grown man in the middle of Sydney, when there's a parade going, climbing a tree, maybe to see a celebrity, maybe Taylor Swift was in town and he climbed a tree, you'd be thinking that's a bit weird. Or you could be thinking, that guy really, really, really wants to see Taylor Swift. Here is a guy who really, really, really wants to see who Jesus was. He is not just like one of the crowds who are amazed at the spectacle of Jesus. He wants to get at who Jesus is. He was seen to be open to who Jesus was. Now, one of the things I've noticed in 20 years of ministry, it's very, very clear, very quickly, whether someone's open to who Jesus is, right? 
I've met some people who, as soon as they ask a question, so they would say, so how can a loving God send people to hell? I go, that's a great question, uh, and start answering. They go, oh, okay, well, yeah, what, what about this question? And then start answering that, and they go, oh, okay, what about this? And what I usually say is this, are you really open to Jesus? And they say, oh, yeah, of course I am. And I said, but actually, I don't think you are, because it seems like you're just shutting down every answer. You're just looking for a way to have your heart close to Jesus. Uh, we've got, we, we're running a, an evangelistic course called A Fresh Start. And what's beautiful about A Fresh Start is that God has been bringing people over the last few, uh, this time and last time that we've run it, who are just totally open to Jesus. Uh, and you can see that because when they ask a question, they actually really listen. They go, oh, okay, so, so can I ask a follow-up question and that kind of thing? So can I ask you this question? If you're figuring out where you're at uh, at with Jesus, are you actually open to Jesus? If you're here and you don't know Jesus, are you like Zacchaeus? Are you going, man, I want to really check out who Jesus is. Or are you going, look, I'm just here. Ah, It doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm just here with family or whatever. Not really open to Jesus. Because, let me tell you, if you're sitting back going, oh, well, I'll just wait for Jesus to impress me, guess what? I think your heart is closed to Jesus. But if you're saying, actually, I'm open to exploring this thing and I want to sit humbly under Jesus and ask, ask him and ask other people questions about Jesus, that shows you're open. Are you open to Jesus? Or do you have a heart closed? He was Zacchaeus. He was open to Jesus. He was open to God's grace. But there's not just the openness to grace, there's the invitation of grace. Have a look at verse 5 with me. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, can I just say, I am surprised about one thing about this verse. I'm surprised that Jesus knows his name. Because notice how in the rest of the text, there's no kind of... of, uh, you know, we don't know why Jesus knows his name. Is this one of these things where, you know, everyone's going, oh, silly Zacchaeus up a tree, what a loser. And Jesus goes, hey, Zacchaeus, well, I'm going to stay at your place. Maybe. Did, did Jesus know this because of some kind of divine revelation? Maybe. We just don't know. But can you imagine how surprised Zacchaeus was that here is Jesus and Jesus knows his name. But notice what Jesus says to him. Verse 5 again, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your place. When Jesus uses the words, I must, it's almost like I have been sent on a mission from God to do this. I must come to you. So this is not just, hey, I've heard Zacchaeus has gotten some nice food. I'll go over to his place. No, this is like I have been sent to Jericho so that I would stay at your place, Zacchaeus. But why? Why? Because Jesus is on a mission. I don't know about you, but I like movies where the, the, the guy's on a mission, the main character's on a mission. That's why I like uh, Terminator 2 which is a really lovely movie. And, uh, you know, but, but the great thing about Terminator 2 is Arnie's on a mission to save John Connor. That's what he came to do. But notice, have a look at Jesus' mission in verse 10. Jesus says he's on a mission. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man comes from Daniel 7.13 where he is this divine, exalted figure coming back to, to judge everyone. But notice he's not judging here. Notice he came back to seek and to save. Maybe you're here and, and, and you're going, I'm wondering whether Jesus actually is for me. I wonder whether Jesus loves me. Look at verse 10 again. Jesus is not indifferent to you. He is seeking you out so he would save you. He loves you. See, Zacchaeus thought all this time, hey man, I should seek Jesus out because I want to find out who he was. But he didn't realize that God through Jesus was seeking him out. He thought he was climbing up the sycamore fig tree, but God was working the crowd so he would go up the sycamore fig tree so that Jesus would say, hey, I've got to stay at your place. God is in the business, and Jesus was in the business, of seeking and saving people far from him. Now, m many of you would know that in my previous life, I was a professional guitarist. It sounds far more glamorous than it was. Um, but one of the things, there were some songs that I played over and over and over again that I just forgot, about the forgot thinking about the lyrics, but when you thought about them, they were pretty dumb. Like, think about these lyrics for a second. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you, baby. Now, if you're a husband, you might have sung that to your wife and she was very impressed with that. And good on you for doing that. But think about their words. They're kind of ridiculous, aren't they? Ain't no mountain high enough. What about Everest? It's like nine ki kilometers high. You need oxygen to get over. People have died trying to cross it, right? Ain't no valley low enough. Okay, we'll give you a valley, but ain't no river wide enough. What about the Amazon River, which is 26 kilometers across when it floods? That, that's wide enough. You're going to swim that? So, see, it's full of hyperbole. And you go, oh, come on. When you think about it, okay, yeah, I get you love this girl so much, but, yeah, you wouldn't do that. But that's actually not Jesus. Jesus just didn't have nice words in saving you. Verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, are not just nice words in a song. They are what he did. Because Jesus left heaven and came to earth to seek and save you. He was born in, in a manger, in a stable to seek and save you. Jesus lived a poor life to seek and to save you. He was rejected by his friends to seek and save you. He was tried unjustly to seek and save you. He was beaten to seek and save you. He was nailed to a cross to seek and save you. He took the wrath of God on the cross. Why? To seek and save you. Verse 10 is just not nice words, even though they are nice and encouraging. No, here in the life of Jesus you see how these words were put into action to seek and save you. So, so please, never think, never think that Jesus doesn't love you. Never think that Jesus is not for you. Never think that Jesus is disappointed in you. Maybe you're here and you're figuring out where, where you're at with Jesus and you're thinking, well, God could never love me. No, no, no. God in Jesus is seeking you out. That's why you're here this morning. 
Uh, and and it's, not, it's not that you would uh, be good enough. No, Jesus, as we're going to see, has done everything that's, so that you're saved. God is working all things out so that you would know him. He is seeking you out today. And if you're a Christian here, realize that you didn't choose God. He sought you out. He came for you. And one day you woke up and you put your trust in him. But if you really look at your life and you look at all the things that, that led up to you coming to know Jesus, you would realize that God put every one of those in place. What was he doing? He was seeking you out to save you. Don't we serve a great God that he would do that for you and for me? That, that God is a God who loves to give the invitation of grace. But not only that, this grace is amazing. Let's have a look at, once again, I'm sorry about this word, the amazingness of grace. It's not a word, but I just made it up. I'm sorry about that. Have a look at verse 5 again. I, I, I find this amazing. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, um, start going to church, clean yourself up, stop being a tax collector, get your life together and I'll eat at your place. Did, did, did you see how he said that? He didn't say any of those, did he? He didn't say clean yourself up. He didn't say memorize your Bible. He didn't say stop being a tax collector. He didn't say go, start going to church. What does he say? Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go, go to your place today. That's grace. Zacchaeus did not deserve this. But Jesus gave him this grace. And you see that again in verse 9. Have a look at it with me. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. That word today is very significant. Because if you think forward, it was the thief on the cross who said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. When Jesus uses the word today in Luke's gospel, it says, Hey, this bloke is saved. This person is saved. It's not saying, Hey, Zacchaeus, if you work really, really, really hard, guess what? You'll be saved. No, he goes, Hey, you've been saved today. Today, salvation has come. Notice the past tense has come because it's not about Zacchaeus working up enough because if it was about Zacchaeus working up enough, he's saying to Zacchaeus, hey, salvation will come if you work hard enough. No, but because God has saved him, it is, has come. That's the difference between every religion and Christianity. Salvation in every religion that, I, that, I, that I've looked at, and I've looked at dozens, it's all salvation is in the future. It's if you keep working, you will be saved. Christianity says it's all about what God has done, therefore you are saved. I remember going to a, um, a thing at the University of Sydney, and it was a thing that the Muslims put on, a Muslim group put on, and it was really great. They were really friendly, had a great time. I learned a lot about Islam. And um, there, there was this Q&A, right? And um, I asked a question, right? I, I, said, I said to the imam who was there, who was very gracious to me, he said to me, uh, I said to him, um, do you know if you die tonight and you saw God, are you assured that he would let you into heaven? 
And he said, well, you know, like God is gracious and God is just and I, I, I've tried to live my life for him, but it's ultimately up to him. And I said, can I ask a follow-up question? He said, sure. And I said, so what you're saying is you're not assured of going to heaven when you die. And he said, well, you know, God is gracious and God is just but, and I've, done, I've tried to live for him, but ultimately it's up to him. And I said, sorry, can I ask a follow-up question? And he said, sure. And I said, so what you're saying is that you're, you are not sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die. And he said to me, you're asking the same question in three different ways. What are you trying to say? And so he graciously let me say this. I said, as a Christian, I know that I'm going to heaven when I die because it's not about what I have done or will do, or haven't done. It's all about what Jesus has done alone. So if you're here and you're going, man, I'm not sure I've done enough. You haven't. But it's not on you. It's not what Jesus has done. When he, if you've got your trust in Jesus today, he says these words to you. Salvation has come to you because you too are a son or daughter of Abraham. What does that mean to be a son or daughter of Abraham? What it means is that you are a partaker of the promises of Abraham, uh, that God gave to Abraham. Genesis 12, 1-3, God said he would bless through Abraham and his line will bless all people because Jesus is going to come out of that line and you're part of the blessing of Jesus by being saved by Jesus, just like Zacchaeus was. So, so walk away from here totally confident that God in his grace has saved you. But here's the question. When you encounter the amazingness of grace, how do you respond to that? Like, if you've been given an amazing gift, how are you going to respond? Tomorrow, it's my son's ninth birthday, and um, I'm, we've got some good gifts. And I know that he's going to be overwhelmed. He's going to jump and scream and yell and all that kind of stuff because he's going to be blown away by those gifts, right? How are you responding to the response to God's amazing gift of grace? How are you responding to the fact that Jesus has died for you? Well, let's have a look at, I think, what Luke points out is three things we should think about as we look at our last point, the response to grace. Now, I need to set this point up a little bit, right? If you've got your Bibles, I want you to just go back to chapter 18, starting at verse 35. Chapter 18, starting at verse 35, I need you to have a look at something with me. Notice that Jesus here is approaching Jericho. And notice in verse 35, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, right? Now, you, if you've been at church for a long time, you've probably heard this story. Basically, he hears that Jesus is there. Jesus heals him and makes him see. And we see, see what happens in verse 44, sorry, 43, sorry. It says, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. Now, this is the significant thing. 
when all the people saw it, they also praised God. So you've got a bunch of people, probably outside of Jericho at this point, as Jesus is coming in, just on the outskirts of Jericho, and Jesus heals a blind man. Everyone's going, how good is Jesus? This guy's amazing. How good is that, right? But then, have a look at verse 1 of chapter 19. Jesus enters Jericho, and as we've seen, he has this conversation with Zacchaeus. And notice... Verse 7, all the people, the same group of people who were just 10 minutes ago praising Jesus at the, at the healing of a blind man, what do they do when Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, Mr. Tax Collector, the arch tax collector, the big tax collector, I want to stay at your place. Here's what they say. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began, began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They're having a whinge, right? Going, I can't believe Jesus would do this. They like Jesus when he heals people. They don't like him when he shows grace to people that they don't think he should show grace to. But here's, here's the telling thing. Or let me ask you this. How do you know if someone's truly a Christian? How do you know if someone is, is, is truly a Christian or they're coming to church and just really religious? I think it is how they use the word sinner. If you, if you go back in your Bible and you go to chapter 18 again, Jesus tells a story of a, parab- a, story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the tax collector, he's up the back of, the, of, of church, of, of the building that they were meeting to God. There's, there's a Pharisee who praises God because he's really righteous. Here's how the tax collector, and listen to the way he uses sinner. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, this tax collector goes home forgiven by God. Sorry, this publican or this sinner goes home forgiven by God, justified. Now you flip over to chapter 19 and you see the crowd. How are they using sinner? They are using it to exclude and to demean and degrade. They're not seeing themselves as sinners. They are seeing this guy as a sinner. You see, how do you know whether you have been blown away by the amazingness of grace? How do you know if you responded correctly? Well, the first thing is you realize that you're a sinner. Yeah, other people are sinners too, but hey, you emphasize that you have sinned, that you are the one that needs grace, that you need God to save you. Be careful, be very careful about anyone you know that you've known for a long time that that they call themselves a Christian and you've never heard them confess sin. Be very careful if you've never heard them apologize. Because the first step actually in responding to grace is to realize that you're a sinner and not just think of other people as sinners but yourself. Second of all, how do you know whether you responded to grace? Have a look at verse 6 with me. This is Zacchaeus. We'll back it up to verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. 
So, here's the response. So, he, that is the key, came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Two things. One, how does he respond to Jesus immediately? Immediately there. But he responds with joy. He doesn't go, oh man, Jesus is coming around to my place. That's 12 disciples. How am I going to cook this food? No, no, no. He's, oh yeah, this is great. Come, right? How does he respond to the command of Jesus? He does it with joy. How do you respond to the commands of Jesus? Do you do this with joy? Now, can I just say, um, feel a bit hypocritical asking this question. Because as I've been working up this series about money and that kind of thing, it's been very clear to me that um, God wants me to be more generous, not me to be tied to the stuff that I have. And especially last week, it wasn't last week's sermon, a terrible sermon, in the sense that it was just, just, like Jesus' words were just so confronting, right? And, and, and you, know, you know, I would love to tell you that when, when Jesus has been putting on my heart that I should be more generous, I'd love to tell you that I've been responding in joy. I, I'd love to tell you that I've been oh, yeah. I'd, I'd run home to, to Kate go, oh, man, God has given me this insight through his word that I need to be more generous. Isn't that amazing? I, want to just, I just want to spend the next two hours singing praises to God because God has told me to be more generous. Can I tell you, that just hasn't happened. The opposite has happened. I wonder if this has happened to you. I wonder if, if, if you haven't been the joyful person as we've been thinking about money, but you've been a bit like me, that, that, that there's a sense of frustration and anger. That, that, that I'm, oh man, God wants me to be more generous. Oh man, I really don't want this. I find myself responding to what God says about money recently to me, like Gollum in Lord of the Rings. You know, he's got that little precious ring and anyone who goes near it, who, 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 who uh, you know, kind of threatens it, he gets angry. And I feel like God has been pressing on me about my finances and about my generosity and I'm getting like Gollum. I'm going, that's my precious. I can't do his voice, but you know, you get the vibe, right? I wonder if that's you too. And can I just say, if that is you, that's me. And what that means is that we are not responding to grace rightly. And we need to pray that God would change our hearts. And so, so if you're responding to, to, to God as he calls you to be more generous with frustration and anger, can I just say, I, I'm walking right there beside you. I need to repent of that sin too. And so as you pray for yourself, please pray for me. Please pray for us all that we would have hearts that are soft to the word of God. But but here's the third way that we see Zacchaeus respond or we see a response. Have a look in verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus has been living a life of power and used that power to cheat. And notice how he, he said, if I have cheated, well, everyone said, well, actually, you probably have. But notice what he's going to do. Pay back 
four times the amount. Not just once. I'm not just going to pay you back. I'm not going to do what the Old Testament says and give you twice as much. I'm going to pay you four times the amount. And then he says, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor, not just 10%, as, as the Bible says in the Old Testament. I'm not just going to give 10%. I'm going to give 50% away. That's what I'm going to do right now. And notice how Jesus doesn't ask him. Jesus shows him grace and goes, this is how I'm going to change. When John the Baptist gets asked, what should we do as you are telling us to repent? He actually tells them, tells the people who are coming to him to change the way they're using money. He is Zacchaeus, has found the grace of God. He is the rich man who goes and is saved. He is the camel that goes through the eye of a needle. And what does he do? He says, this money is a tool to praise God. And that's what he does. See, one of the things that, that I think it's really significant that he uses uh, kind of accounting type language here. Four times. I'm going to give half. One of the things that, that, that I think Christians get stuck up on is, uh, should I tithe? Should I give 10%? Right? But one of the things in the Old Testament is, it says that it's 10%, right? And so some of us goes, well, that's in the Old Testament. We're under the gospel here, right? And so I don't need to give 10%. Oh, I shouldn't give 10%. It doesn't really matter, right? Can I just say, can I ask a question? Are you in a better place than the believers in the Old Testament? Well, the answer is, of course you are. The believers in the Old Testament were looking forward to Jesus saving them. You look back and you are saved by Jesus. God has shown his grace to you far more than the people in the Old Testament. And so can I say 10% is not a goal that you will reach one day. 10% is a standard. It's a baseline. And, and so, maybe I think in responding to God's grace, maybe we need to go back once again and look at our finances. Are we responding to God's grace like we should? Because I think Luke is saying this, and this is very, very challenging. If God's amazing grace has changed your heart, you will see it by wanting, not just being willing, wanting to be generous with your money. If God's amazing grace has truly changed your heart, you will want to be generous with your money. You know you haven't grasped the grace of God unless it changes you and your relationship with your money. They're very hard words, aren't they? But they're true words. See, today, at the start I talked about uh, transformations. And we have seen Zacchaeus have his life transformed. He, he was open to the grace of God. He heard the invitation of the grace of God. He, he experienced the amazingness of the grace of God and he responded rightly to the grace of God. I wonder, is that you? If you're not following Jesus, are you open to the grace of God? Have you heard the invitation of the grace of God? Have you seen how truly amazing it is? 
and have you respond to God's grace rightly? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your grace in Jesus. I thank you that Jesus showed that amazing grace and love towards us by dying for us. Lord, I pray today that we will be blown away by the amazingness of God's grace, of your grace towards us. Help us uh, to be open to your grace if, if we are not open. Help us to hear the invitation of your grace. Help us to see how amazing your grace is. But Lord, I pray that we would respond rightly to your amazing grace shown in the Lord Jesus and his death for us. Amen.